Well, folks, let's pray because I'm not entirely sure you're going to believe me today. (laughs) I think you're going to believe me, but I don't think you're really going to believe me. But God can teach us what he wants to teach us. So let's pray that he does that. Lord, um, we're going to look at something today. We're going to look at uh, the reason uh, the reason you've put us where you put us. And Lord, that's, um, that's not what we experience from day to day. Lord, it seems to us that the decisions we make and, and the, the chances that we get this job or don't get this job or uh, that we marry this girl instead of this girl or whatever, Lord, those things seem to happen somewhat in our control. Uh, but then, Lord, other times uh, they seem to be kind of random. And so, Lord, I, I think it's not in our experience so much that we see that you have guided us and put us where you want us to be for a purpose that we're going to talk about today. But, Lord, I pray that you would teach us. Uh, Lord, I can, I can study on the scripture. I can meditate on it. I can, uh, I can write a sermon. I can, I can think through these things, and I can present it. Uh, I can speak, Lord, with, uh, with the air that you give me, but I cannot teach the heart of people. And so, Lord, we need you every week, uh, but I feel it keenly this week that we need you to impart truth to us. So, Father, we pray that you would do so. Uh, Lord, thank you for that song, um, Who is Worthy? None Besides You. And so, Lord, that's why we're here today, to offer you praise through the worship and through the preaching of the word. And, Lord, I pray if you would make it so through the obedience to your word. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, 1 Corinthians 7, starting in verse 17. And guys, I hope you have a Bible. If you do, go ahead and get it out. Now, we've got stuff on the screen, and that's fine. Uh, but I would like for you to, to be able to see what I'm saying and, and look in the Scripture. And if I ever preach a sermon where we don't need to look in the Bible regularly, then you need to get rid of me, okay? <laughs> we need to look in the Word and see what the Word says. 1 Corinthians 7, starting in verse 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the name of the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when he was called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, let him remain there with God. So what I want to talk about today is how to know and experience God's plan for your life. Now, I've heard a lot of sermons that claim to tell me that, and uh, they are usually kind of vague and generalized. And the reason for that is I don't know exactly what God's plan is for your coming days But you know what? I know what his plan was for you yesterday. Well, if you and I sit down and talk about what happened yesterday, I'll know. God is sovereign. God has put you where he wants to put you. Now, there's no doubt that we can mess things up occasionally and we can can cause 
uh, our life to go askew from, from sin and rebellion and that kind of thing. But the great thing is our God is sovereign enough to take all of that and put you where he wants to put you. Have you ever wondered if you missed out on God's plan for your life? I've talked to people before that have said that to me. They've said things like, this one friend told me, I surrendered to ministry when I was in high school, uh, but I never went into ministry. And he said, I think maybe I missed the boat. I missed the plan that God had for my life. Let me ask you this. Could your life have been used for greater kingdom impact? Now, I think maybe if there's somebody in the nursery, they wouldn't say yes. But I think all the rest of us are going to say yes to that, right? We could have all had a greater kingdom impact. And we know that. But instead of just regretting that, let's see what we can do about it in the future. What can we do now to maximize the rest of our life having the kingdom impact that we want? Uh, Guys, someday uh, you're going to die and folks are going to say nice things about you. And I've been to a whole bunch of funerals and uh, folks are going to say really nice things about you by virtue of you dying. You might not have been that good a guy. You might not have ever darkened the door of a church, but oh, they're going to talk about how you're in heaven and what a wonderful and loving, practically perfect person you are. That's how it goes at funerals, right? Uh, what I want at my funeral is I want people to honestly be able to say, this dude's first priority was to his Lord and the spreading of that kingdom. That is what I want. And I think it's what all of us want who are real believers in here today. So these are some of the questions that I would like for us to ask ourselves today. But first, let me give you some really good news. And that is that, like I said a minute ago, God is sovereign over your life. Well, he's sovereign over everything. But he's sovereign over your life. And what he says to you is live as you were called. Now, why are you supposed to live as you were called? Because God put you where he put you because he wanted you there, and because he wants to use you there. Now, let's talk about what I mean by sovereign, because I've learned that um, everybody who is an Orthodox Christian says that God is sovereign. But there's a lot of difference in when I say God is sovereign and when somebody else may say that God is sovereign. Um, what, first of all, what does sovereign mean? If you're the king or the queen, somebody might call you the nation's sovereign. Or speaking of a nation, we might call a nation a sovereign nation, like the United States is a sovereign nation, meaning it's the boss of itself, right? It doesn't have to answer to other bodies. I mean, the UN can't tell us what to do. Um, France can't tell us what to do. We, We govern our own affairs, right? And so we are a sovereign nation. But there's a limit to any kind of sovereignty that you talk about with mankind. Um, You know, if you're a complete unopposed dictator, then you are sovereign over that country. Well, until you're not, right? Because somebody can overthrow you. Somebody can shoot you and you're dead and you're no longer sovereign. Uh, This country is sovereign over its own affairs right now, but that could change, right? But with God, his sovereignty is absolute. It is complete And it is eternal. So God does what he wants to do, when he wants to do it, how he wants to do it. And there is nothing that you or I could do to stop him from accomplishing what he wants to accomplish. And that is super comforting to me. Because guys, if, I'll tell you in a minute, that I asked God a long time ago, 
to lay out the, the plan. I said, Lord, give me a map. I'll do my very best to stay on course, right? You tell me what you want me to do for the next 40 or 50 years, and I'll do it. Well, when he got done laughing, he said, no, you know, because that's not what he was going to do. But I, I couldn't have managed it right anyway, if I had known. So it's so comforting to me to know that my God is sovereign. He closes doors he wants closed. He opens other doors he wants open. He gives me the desire to do what he wants me to do, and he leads me along step by step. So we're to live as we're called, but the question is, you know, why did God put you where he put you? Well, Paul gives a point in this section, and then he illustrates the point with the middle verses, and then he gives the point again. So I'm going to start with the beginning and end of our passage. It says in verse 17, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him. Isn't that cool? The Lord assigned to you whatever place you are in. And then it says, and to which God has called him. So I know we think of some people having a calling, but I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, everybody has a calling from God. This is my rule in all the churches. And then in verse 24, he says, So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Isn't that great? So God called you, put you where he wanted to put you, and is going to stay there with you. Now, my path has been really winding to to end up here. Uh, When I was a little kid, I thought, well, um, maybe I should make money. That sounds like a good idea. So when I get in college, I'm going to study something where I can get out and earn some good money. Uh, So I studied biology in, in preparation for some kind of you know, medical field, um, then I believe that the Lord changed my mind because I had, uh, I had gotten into pharmacy school and was, was in pharmacy school at Ole Miss, and uh, my wife and I and a friend went on a long uh, time of fasting and prayer where we asked the Lord what, what he would have us do, and um, I believe that the Lord was guiding me elsewhere. And so uh, I changed my major, and I, I uh, did a music degree along with my biology so that I could be able to do music in churches. And uh, when I started in ministry, I was the orchestra conductor. And I went from the orchestra conductor to the worship pastor, and from the worship pastor to associate pastor, worship pastor, and then finally to the teaching pastor. And so I, I wouldn't have planned my route that way had I been in charge, but the Lord knew what he was doing. And along the way, he gave me the desire to do what I am now doing. Uh, If if five years ago you had been trying to hack into my uh, my password, the little one of the questions would have been, "What is your dream job?" And for the past five or six years, the answer to that has been pastor. Okay, so the Lord has given me the desire to do a thing, and then brought it about in His timing. So, you know, when I was 18 or so, I thought I had a really reasonable plan. I said, God, if you'll just tell me what to do, <laughs> I'll do it. Um, well, it didn't happen. It was like in the, in the wilderness when God appears as a pillar of fire or a, pier, a pillar of cloud. He was leading them wherever he wanted them to go that day. And that's about it. <laughs> they didn't have a plan for where they were going next week. And my life has kind of been that way. But if we understand that God is sovereign it's okay. So it's okay not to end up where you thought you were going. So let's talk about your vocation for a moment. I know that you are doing 
whatever God has called you to do? Do you need to change in order to perfectly be in the center of the will of God? No, you don't have to change your vocation to be in God's will. Well, unless, you know, if you're operating a brothel, then yes, you have to change in order to be in God's will. But if you're doing some kind of legitimate business and earning an income for your family and for you, uh, you don't have to change what you're doing to be called of God and to be in the center of God's will. You know, God calls preachers, missionaries, worship pastors, oil field workers, lumberjacks, teachers, housewives, store clerks, accountants, doctors, and anything else you want to name in there. It's not that the calling to ministry in a full-time vocational way is markedly different than a calling to anything else because we're all to have some of the same priorities that we're going to talk about in a few minutes. So uh, when I was talking to my friend and he said he had surrendered to ministry uh, when he was in high school and then he had never gone into ministry, I told him, I said, look, I don't know if you should have or not. I can't tell that. But what I do know is you have been called to ministry, uh, not, not necessarily vocational ministry, but you need to get about doing it. <laughs> you know, it's never too late to join in the mission that we're called to be in. So what does God call all of us who are Christians to do? Now, there's lots of scripture that talks about this. And, uh, and we could use a bunch of different scripture to, to make these points. But I want to summarize, and y'all just go with me here and, and expect that I sort of know what the Bible says. <laughs> and I know that you know too. So we're going to summarize what we as Christians are called to do. The first thing is that we are called to be an ambassador who reconciles people to Christ. Um, my favorite scripture, I think, is 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. Now, we could have read the Great Commission. We could have read a bunch of things. But listen to this wonderful and concise explanation of what it is we are called to do. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Okay, so who is this talking to? It's talking to those who are in Christ, right? And hopefully that's all of us. It's certainly all of us who are saved. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. So, so God has reconciled us, has made peace with us, has brought us back into a relationship through Christ. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. See, that's why I wanted to stop for a second and say, who's he talking to? He's talking to those of us who are in Christ, right? And so what does he say to each and every one of us? That he himself gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Here we go. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So what this says, this amazing passage of scripture says that you and I who are in Christ are given 
are called to ministry, are given the job of reconciling other people. And it says that God is going to do that through us. So, you know, we can pray for people to be saved, and we should pray for people to be saved. And every Wednesday when we get together for prayer meeting, we pray specifically for people to get saved. But then we need to realize the means through which God is going to answer that prayer is you. (laughs) Okay? So if you are praying for your neighbor to get saved, great. Keep praying for him to get saved and then go witness to him because God is going to make his appeal through you in order to reconcile that neighbor. So the first thing is that we are to be ambassadors for Christ. That is our number one job. However we make money, that's, that's secondary, okay? However we earn a living is not our primary job. Our primary job is reconciling the loss to God. And I can say that to every single person who is a believer and a follower of Christ in here today. The second thing we're called to do is live peacefully with people. Um, You know, I don't know how many folks have ever uh, been changed, uh, whether religiously or politically or philosophically, by somebody ranting at them uh, that they're wrong. But I bet the number is really, really small. We are to live peacefully, okay? Uh, Romans twelve sixteen says, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Ooh, mercy, we could stop and have a sermon there, but I won't do it. Okay, he says, Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Now, if who is hungry? If your enemy is hungry. That's crazy talk, isn't it? I might say, if a nice guy who is less fortunate than you but is really grateful is hungry, feed him. Right? That would be okay. But it says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So we are to live peaceably with people. Now, guys, I'm not saying we shouldn't be politically active. We should. We should vote. We should try to get other people to vote. Uh, we should do everything we can possibly do to defend the life of the unborn. We should go support people like the Choices Clinic who spend their time defending the unborn. We should be active in our politics and we should be active in our ministries. We should never, never be hateful though. And that, I'm afraid, has become sort of an epidemic on both sides of the political spectrum right now. You have folks that are just mean and nasty and hate the people on the other side. And guys, we can't affect change by having the right guy elected. Uh, I think we all know that, right? We're not going to win from the top down. (laughs) The only way we're going to win is from the bottom up. And that is through infecting people with the gospel. Folks, if we get the gospel to people, then God changes what's on the inside of those people. And God changes the people, one one heart, one individual at a time. 
You know, I hear these crazy things like you can't legislate morality. Um, did you know that it's immoral and illegal for me to kill you, right? <laughs> of course you can legislate immorality, right? And, and we, should, we should legislate morality because we do it all the time and we should continue to do it. And I would love to see laws change to protect the unborn and things like that. But guys, the way to really do that is to be a witness of the Lord and to let the Lord change the hearts of enough people that we, the people, want that kind of thing to happen. Again, if, if you just try to impose that on folks, guys, you know in the past couple of years that, that those who are more uh, liberal and progressive than many of us have kind of gone crazy, right? <laughs> the more you try to impose on them, the crazier they get. But if we share the gospel and they come to life, that is a different matter. That's a matter of God changing them from the inside. So we're to live peaceably and we're to witness to folks. Now, um, again, active is great, but active and gracious. You know, I told you that there's been research done that says that people outside the church think of people inside the church in terms of what they're against, okay? So folks outside think that we sit around and talk about how evil they are and how we're against everything they want to do. That is a horrible impression for them to have. What we need to do is get out in the community, be pleasant, be peaceful, be loving, and be able to share our testimony of the Lord. All right, so we want to be ambassadors. We want to live peaceably. And the next thing is we want to work in your vocation as unto the Lord. Now, your vocation is important. I understand that. Uh, Guys, there was years that I spent not in ministry. And uh, again, I wouldn't have chosen that road But I think it was really good for me because when I tell people your number one job in life is to be an ambassador of Christ, I know you can have the tendency to think, well, yeah, sure, you get paid to do that. There was a lot of years I didn't get paid to do that, and it was my job anyway. And so I I feel what you're saying there. I understand that if you need to make a living through something that is not the gospel, it's hard to prioritize being an ambassador for Christ above everything else. But part of what he calls us to do is work in our vocation as unto the Lord. Colossians 3.22 says, Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So when I'm in here on Monday studying for a sermon, I'm serving the Lord Jesus Christ. When you are, wherever you are doing on, wherever you are doing whatever you're doing on Monday that the Lord has called you to do and doing it well and doing it wholeheartedly, you are serving the Lord Christ. Isn't that good? It is good to be able to be called to what you do. So do you see why God called you to the place where he called you? If these were your priorities, if your first priority was being an ambassador, your second priority was living peacefully, and your third priority was working as unto the Lord, guys, you would have a tremendous impact wherever God chose to put you. Are you, a, are you an employee? I mean, most of us, if we're not retired, have been, you know, gone to a job, answered to somebody, and gotten a paycheck, right? 
if we go there and we work fervently as unto the Lord, man, we're going to be the best worker they've got. And we're going to earn the right to give the testimony of the Lord. And if we're peaceable, I mean, if they don't do everything we want them to do and we fuss and carry on, that's not going to be a great testimony. But if we live peaceably and gracefully, we're going to have the opportunity to share Christ with them. If you're a student, um, guys, you're probably around people who, at least in Mississippi, are culturally Christian, maybe nominally Christian, but very few of them are going to be uh, really genuinely sold out on fire believers. And you can help them out. You can be in a position to witness to those people. Uh, Are you a retiree? Well, that's great. Then you may have a little more time to do some of the stuff that, uh, that we're talking about. You may have time to volunteer. You may have time to um, share your faith with your neighbors over coffee at 10 o'clock on a, on a weekday morning that the rest of us might not have. Are you a patient? Okay, now here's a weird one. Some people that are sick. I had a, I had a friend, wonderful friend. I won't tell her name, but she, was, she had cancer, and she's passed on now. But I'm telling you, she had a Jewish doctor, and she and her husband went to her Jewish doctor, and they were so weird to him that, he, that they made a profound impact on, on this guy. He never saw somebody dying of cancer with as much joy and as much surrender to the sovereignty of God as this lady had. He couldn't, he, he couldn't figure it out. He couldn't explain it. He came to the, the big old Christmas service, the big really evangelistic Christmas service that her church had uh, because she had invited him, you know, and he wanted to come. And he even played. He was a keyboard player. He even played in that thing. So he heard and participated in this thing for weeks as they were preparing for it, and then he played with them. Why? Because this lady who was a patient suffering from cancer and eventually passing away from it was such a stellar witness of the grace of Christ. So let me encourage you, uh, beg you, whatever it takes, <laughs> let me try as hard as I can to persuade you not to wait on your circumstances to change in order for you to be about the business that God calls you to be about. Realize that the only reason that you're in that circumstance is because God put you there. And why did he put you there? He put you there to be a faithful witness of Christ. Look with me at how Paul does illustrate this point. In the middle verses. 1 Corinthians 7, 18, he says, Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Okay, um, if, you're, you know, if you want to know about that, I'm not going to tell you, but you can Google it. It's not good. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. So during the intertestamental period especially, uh, there were Jewish boys who were trying to get ahead in, in business and in that Hellenistic culture, and they would undergo procedures to try to remove that mark of circumcision so that they could go and hang out with these uh, Greeks and be accepted in that Greek culture, okay? And uh, so that's a little bit of an old kind of portrait there, but he's saying, run in your lane, guys. You know, if you're, uh, if you're a widget manufacturer then you are able to witness to the people that work with you in the widget factory, right? <laughs> so don't change, but run in that lane and be a witness there. For neither circumcision counts as anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. You know, the New Testament correlation sort of between 
the, the New Testament version of, of how we think of circumcision as the mark of God is baptism. And baptism is something that we are supposed to do. We're commanded by God to do it. But even following that command of God, you know, he says it's not circumcision that counts for anything, but keeping the commandments of God. So let me just point out here that if you are baptized, that's good because you should be because God tells us to be. But we can't depend on that to save us, guys, because he said, look, it's not really about the sign. It's really about the obedience. And he says what doesn't matter is keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. Now, guys, this is not the kind of race-based slavery that was in the United States. That is 100% evil 100% of the time. This is not really what it's talking about here. The kind of bondservant this was, uh, sometimes people would sell themselves into service so that they could work for their master and legitimately gain enough money to buy themselves out of slavery. And then as a freedman, they could be a Roman citizen, which was a big deal. And then their children would be born as Roman citizens. So again, this is not endorsing the kind of slavery we had in the United States. This is a, a different thing. But he's saying, look, if, you, if you're a slave when you're called, don't worry about it. If you can get free, great, get free. Verse 22, for he was called in the Lord, for he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he, he who was free when he was called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, let him remain with God. So guys, he's saying, <coughs> again, he's illustrating this point through various means that wherever God called you, he called you there because he was sovereign and because he was wise and because he wants to use you in that place. So instead of saying, well, I've got to change my circumstances in order to be effective. No, 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 no. Be effective where you are. And then if God wants to change your circumstances, he will. I have sought through uh, my time in ministry to be productive wherever I was. And I'm going to continue to do that. Let the Lord change the circumstances. And that's what we do in our jobs as well. You know, the gospel is the great equalizer. If you're a millionaire or a homeless person or a slave or free or any color skin you have, all of us are given the same worth because of the same reason, and that is that God has made us in his own image. And so the gospel is this great equalizer. We're not better than anybody else. We're not worse than anybody else. We're saved through the same way into the same calling of service. So guys, let me, let me say, if we were to actually reprioritize our lives to fit in with what I'm saying here, if we were to make the number one thing about being an ambassador for Christ, number two, we were to try to live peacefully and graciously with those around us, and number three, we were to work in whatever calling the Lord has put us in as unto the Lord, we could have such a tremendous impact on those around us that we would need to be having a meeting a year from now to figure out whether we go to two services or build something bigger. You hear what I'm saying to you? We could have a giant impact on those around us if we would all get on board with this. That's why I was begging the Lord to teach today because if we would, guys, I think we're sitting there going, yeah, that's, that's all true. But man, what if we did it? <laughs> you know? 
what if we went from knowledge here to knowledge here that motivated us to action? That is where 99.9% of sermons stop. They stop right here and then they fall out during lunch. You know what I'm saying? But if we were to believe this and to embrace this and say, I am called by God to be an ambassador. And so that is going to be my number one priority. Guys, it would change your life. It would change your purpose. It would change our church. So Lord willing, some of us are going to get that from our head down to our heart and act on it. Now you're going to have a million reasons not to. You're going to have a million reasons not to. Don't listen to them. All right, I forgot my watch. What time are we at? 11.30. All right, I'm going to wind this up. (laughs) Um, At the risk of getting off topic, though, let me tell you a quick story. We get excited. We get excited about the wrong stuff sometimes. Uh, Let me read you a little passage from Mark 2. And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room. And so Jesus was there and he was preaching. Skip down a little bit, and uh, these guys came bringing a paralytic. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. All right, listen. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like this? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And they're right, by the way. Nobody can forgive sins but God alone. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? All right, here's the question that Jesus asked that I want us to answer. Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? Which is easier? I think for Jesus, saying, rise, take up your bed and walk was a whole lot easier. Because, guys, he's the one that created all that is. He spoke and the universe came into existence. Him fixing the spinal cord of this paralytic is no big deal. Now, to say your sins are forgiven, that was a huge deal. Jesus had to die in this guy's place in order to say your sins are forgiven. So Jesus says, which is the bigger deal? I think there's no way to answer that except that the forgiveness of sins is a way bigger deal. But picture this with me for a minute. Let's say somebody came in here who was paralyzed, and the Lord Jesus took him today and healed him in this service. I dare say we'd have a couple hundred visitors next week, wouldn't you? Would you go tell somebody? I think you would. And I think we couldn't hardly get anybody else in here next week. But Jesus can and will do the greater miracle every single time that we get together. He will forgive your sins if you'll ask Him. He'll do that greater miracle today. And we're so used to it. We'll go home and we won't say a word to anybody. And we'll come back next week. Right? So let me tell you one more time. Guys, take this truth from your head to your heart. And let's act on it. And let's get in front of somebody and tell them that their sins can indeed be forgiven. All right, let me tell you how to do that real quick and then we'll have an invitation. 
This is the gospel. Jesus is willing to take your place. That paralytic that he said, your sins are forgiven, the only way he could say that was because Jesus was going to die for the sins of that man. Now he can't say, hey, your sins are forgiven and just overlook it because that's not what justice demands. And God is holy and he is just. And so what he has to do is he has to pay the fine himself. There's a cost for sin. You know, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. So somebody's got to pay that death. It's either got to be you or it's going to be Jesus. So what he did was he died in your place to offer you eternal life that you can have by faith. If you don't have that today, do not leave here. Do not leave here without coming and talking to me. Guys, again, if you were a paralytic and you couldn't move anything, and I said, I can fix this, <laughs> not me, but I can, I can introduce you to the guy that can fix this today, if you'll just stop and talk to me, I'm pretty sure you'd have somebody bring you up here. So if today you need your sins forgiven, come talk to me. Well, I can't do it, but I can introduce you to the guy that can do it, okay? And we can get that taken care of. Brother, what are we singing? Let's stand together.